been nearly two decades since Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, hit theaters, yet we're still feeling the impact of that groundbreaking movie every time we sit through an epic battle fought on the silver screen. I'm Roger Chang, and this is your Daily Charge. Here to talk about The Two Towers and its impact on Hollywood blockbusters is CNET culture reporter Aaron Carson. So, Lord of the Rings was a hugely successful trilogy of films that brought the fantasy genre back to life. But The Two Towers, the second in the series, uh, was particularly groundbreaking. What happened in that film that really kind of set itself apart from everything else that came before it? So the Two Towers featured this battle called Helm's Deep that took up about 40-ish minutes of the movie. And there's a lot about that battle that's really kind of groundbreaking in terms of practical and visual effects. But one of the kind of notable things about it is it was largely driven by this software called Massive that uses artificial intelligence to create all the armies. So you know, in that particular battle, uh, notably, you have this horde of 10,000 Urukai orcs descending on this like mountain stronghold called Helm's Deep. And this was kind of like the, the big moment for this software to show this kind of uh, battle on a scale that we really hadn't seen before and driven by AI. And yeah, this is something we all kind of take for granted now because it has been, I mean, 19 years since this film came out. So so a lot of these things we sort of see, it's pretty standard in, in films. But I'm curious how the technology worked and, and sort of what made it unique, what allowed it to stand out from, say, other scenes of you know massive battles that came before it. Right. So, you know, in the past, like the way that we have seen uh, battles or crowds, I'll say, put together, um, really kind of, you know, run the gamut. Like back in the day, it was uh, maybe like a, what do they say, a cast of thousands for a movie like uh, The Ten Commandments or something, you know, or there are uh, things you can do like make composites. Say you have a little group of 20 people, you put them, you know, in some chairs, you move them around, you get them to change uh, clothes, you you take another picture, you put it together, you know, those sorts of things. But as far as this kind of ability to uh, create just thousands and thousands of these characters who have all these unique interactions with each other in terms of the way that they say, like, fight and die and clash with each other... And to kind of get it past the human eye is something that is believable. Uh, that was a really kind of groundbreaking moment for this technology and the future of all of these types of films that we live in right now, where where uh, the big battle is 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 almost kind of like standard <laughs> for <laughs> for epics these days. Yeah, and I think that's the key that that these were individual, like the the tens of thousands of characters on screen were moving differently and had their own almost personality. It wasn't just cloning people, right? Like it wasn't just cutting and pasting in thousands of, of digital characters. Like each of them all kind of had their own quirks, correct? Exactly. And that's what's really interesting. So so if you, you know, think about all these like individual um characters they're called agents a lot of the times and it's like each one of them kind of has their own little brain that is maybe a little bit smarter or a little bit not as smart and they can kind of you know go and find somebody to fight with they can pull from 
essentially like a library of moves of like fighting moves um, and have these unique interactions, but also they have capabilities, for example, being uh, aware of the sound that's happening. Uh, so for example, like in, in one of the later battles in Lord of the Rings, you have the fell beasts that are kind of swooping down and screeching. Massive allowed uh, for the creation of these cues so that if, if you know, you have like a fell beast swooping down and making a noise within a certain area, the agents can like look up and be like, oh, like, what is that? You know, <laughs> or um, which, you know, goes a long way towards uh, believability um, and to be also like aware of their terrain. So if they're going up a hill, they can change the, their gait and sort of adapt to their environment. And so, um, so yeah, so you're never going to look at a crowd of these guys and go like, oh, look, that those are the same and those are the same and those are the same because they're all kind of built with enough smarts that you can get, um, yeah, these like unique interactions. Right. And here's how the store, how the software got developed because the creator who you interviewed had Kind of an odd story about its inception, right? That's right. So he was, you know, there's kind of two starting points to this almost. Like in one sense, he got involved with this because he he was working with Weta Digital, which is the, you know, the uh, visual effects studio that did Lord of the Rings and everything. And Peter Jackson had approached him uh, to design this software before they got started on, uh, on this project. But... He had also years before had this kind of wild dream where he had gone on uh, or gone into his office and he saw a bunch of people crowded at a computer and they were looking at this really kind of intense simulation of a forest where the trees and the animals and everything that was happening was kind of... Um, happening on its on its own and in the computer and it was kind of a, a a functioning artificially intelligent simulation of forest life and so when jackson approached him about this like in his mind he kind of had this framework uh for how to build it because the people who turned out to be aliens as it happens in the dream um explained to him how to how to do this so he uh yeah he had a, a little bit to work with when he actually got started yeah that is uh amazing that he actually took something that came out of a dream which i tend to forget my dreams almost immediately after i wake up and like actually created something out of that uh, I'm I'm curious. The so we talked we're talking a lot about Lord of the Rings and obviously the two towers. Uh, what about some of the more modern films or modern examples of media? Is massive still being used now, or uh, or have we kind of moved on to other things? So this is what was kind of wild to me about like when I first wanted to do this story and was thinking about digging into it is. I kind of went in with this idea of like, hey, I don't think that we would have, you know, things like the big battles of Game of Thrones or Avengers Endgame or whatnot without Massive back in the day. And then I learned that Massive is still being used. It was actually used on those, um, those uh, you know, that movie and television shows. But Massive has popped up in all kinds of things from World War Z, a lot of Marvel stuff, uh, you know, James Bond, Jungle Book. Just It's a, it's a list that uh, Stephen Regulus, who's the creator, can't even fully keep track of uh, because at this point, 
you know, visual effects studios can buy massive and use it themselves. And so he doesn't, he doesn't always know when it's used, but you know, it's probably a number in, in the hundreds in the past 20 years is, is, you know, as far as uh, who all has used this. So quite a bit. And yeah, just digging into the tech a little bit further, you know, you talked about the use of fuzzy logic versus traditional logic and, and, how this is sort of an early or rudimentary example of, I guess, artificial intelligence. But talk a little about that and like what exactly is fuzzy logic? Right. So this is like a key decision that Stephen Regulus made that I think has ensured a lot of his success. And he used this thing called fuzzy logic. And kind of the way to think about this is if traditional logic says that something is either true or false, fuzzy logic kind of allows for some gray area in between that, which is great when you're talking about uh, behaviors of things that are supposed to be kind of human-like, right? Um, and, and another kind of way to think of this is also, you know, when we think about artificial intelligence, a lot of times we think about like neural networks and, um, you know, like this idea of, okay, I'm going to take this data set and train this neural network on it and um, do something like, you know, in the HBO show Silicon Valley, they had an app that could recognize what a hot dog was because it had been trained on thousands of photos of hot dogs. Um, and, and the point with that is like, that's a, that's a big process that can take a lot of time and wasn't necessarily uh, super convenient for film production. So the use of this fuzzy logic, which essentially for them was like a network of nodes and kind of looser rules for governing behavior, um, made for a lot easier, more fluid, uh, easier to adapt uh, kind of form of AI that uh, they used for, for Massive. All right. Well, you know, you, you mentioned some of the properties like Game of Thrones, uh, some of the Marvel films like, like Avengers Endgame. I'm curious how the technology has evolved over the years since, you know, the first instance was 19 years ago. I'm assuming there are different versions of it at this point or more upgraded versions of it? Like how, how have things changed? Yeah. So this is also something that I found really interesting is, is, you know, when you talk to the, the folks at Weta and you talk to Stephen Regulus, um, the core of it by and large, it, it runs the same way, but over the years they've kind of come up with all these, uh, kind of other things to add or other things to do. Like one story that was really interesting that I, I don't actually think I put in, in the story itself, but they were working on avatar, for example, and uh, used Massive to create um, a simulation of all the, the the forest that you saw in like the world of the Navi that uh, was able to basically simulate like, a forest that had been there for generations and generations and generations. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's one of those things where over time they they come up with things like, oh, hey, here's a way to you know simulate fabric or hair, this or that. Um, and it depends a little bit on the project. Um, but, but overall sort of like the, the main structure of it was kind of so ahead of its time 20 years ago that it's really still kind of current. Huh. And what do you think the software goes in the coming months and years? Yeah. So, um, 
in the short term, uh, Stephen Regulus is working on kind of massive 9.0 that's going to have, uh, you know, a few new features, including some compatibility with some other similar uh, kind of types of crowd simulation and 3D effects software. Um, but, but in more the long term, he was talking to me about this idea of an increasing need to be able to render visual effects essentially in real time during production. And he was citing, for example, The Mandalorian, which, um, you know, did this really kind of incredible sort of um, almost like a uh, like holodeck, <laughs> you know, sort of thing when they were when they were shooting that they had um, were able to kind of blast up all the like the, the computer effects um, and see them like as they were um filming and so he's he's wanting to move in a direction like that that you know uh filmmakers eventually aren't going to want to wait weeks or months or however long to see um you know completed visual effects so how do you how do you keep uh, up with demand in that respect so that's something that he's got his eye on got it uh, lots of, lots of exciting things to see that hopefully what well, we will actually get to see in the movie theaters soon Aaron, thanks for your time. You can check out her story at CNET.com. If you have any questions, hit us up on Twitter at The Daily Charge. Or sign up for direct text messages from me by heading to CNET.co slash Daily Charge. And if you liked what you heard, please rate and subscribe to the podcast. It really helps us out. For The Daily Charge, I'm Roger Chang. Thanks for listening. <laughs>